Hey, this is Ken at Capital Advantage Tutoring, and it's my job to get you past the Series 57, the, among the other exams, the Series 7, 63, and all that. A lot of people have confusion with like trading rules, limit order display, reg show, buy-ins, all that. We're going to try to cover a lot of stuff that people are having trouble with, not specific to various chapters. So it's going to be covering more things like MPID, reg show, stuff like that. All stuff that people have trouble with. But we're going to get through a lot of it, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So watch most of it. Fun. Eh, is it going to be fun? No, I just say that. To me, it's fun. To you, you're going to be like, I just got to get through. So I've covered this before, but what is a market maker? A market maker is a broker-dealer, a type of broker-dealer that has a firm two-sided quote in the NAS, usually NASDAQ or over-the-counter security. We're not going to talk about DMMs for the stock exchange. Market makers are for NASDAQ or over-the-counter securities. And they're trading it. They're using their own principle, their own inventory, their own money to buy and sell. To be a market maker, they have rules they have to follow. The big one, the big rule, is this crooked? Always crooked, right? There we go. How about that? Is that crooked? There we go. So now, the biggest rule is they have to have a, they have to have a firm, firm attributable, which means their name's on it, firm two-sided quote, which means they have to have a bid and an ask within a specific range of the inside market, depending on how, how volatile the stock is or liquid, that range can get bigger and smaller, depending. So that's what a market maker does. They have to buy and sell all day long from 9.30 a.m. to 4, 9.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. They can go longer. They can go all the way up to 8. They can even start quoting at 4 a.m. But they are required, if they are a market maker on NASDAQ, to be 9.30 to 4. Now, if they're over the counter, if they're an over the counter market maker, the rules are they're supposed to be there, but they don't have to be there all day long. They don't have to be a firm two-sided quote. They can just put bids. They can just do offers. They can do bids wanted, offers wanted, looking for bids. They can do a lot of different things. But here's the thing. If it's a quote, it has to be firm. Remember that. All quotes are firm. So if they make a quote, it's firm. If they say, oh, we're looking for bids, that's not a quote. That's just looking for bids, okay? So if you see a quote, a quote is always firm. What does firm mean? Firm means we have to honor it. If I say I want to pay 40 for 1,000 shares, I have to be willing to buy 1,000 shares at 40. If I'm going to offer 200 shares at 38, which would be a cross market, but we're there, 200 shares at 38, I have to be willing to sell up to 200 shares at 38. I can, I, if, if they come in and they want to buy more, I can sell more if I want to, but I'm only obligated to sell up to what I have. Now, what's cool about market makers is they make a quote and then they have reserve, right? So what happens is you don't want to really spook the market. So if you make a bid 40 for like 400 shares, you may actually have 5,000 shares to buy. You can put it in a reserve, like your back pocket. And as you get what they call decremented down to zero, you bid 40 for 300. If a seller comes in and sells a 300 to you, you buy it. You'll have what they call auto quote refresh, or it'll just take from your reserve and repopulate it with another four or 500,000 shares, whatever you set. So you have the money in your back pocket, the shares in your back pocket to buy. You buy your shares. You have no quote anymore. Boom, the reserve will come in and refill and put a new quote in. That's a reserve. So you, when you talk to a market maker and you execute against them, you don't actually know what they have. They're just showing you a little bit of what they have. Or it could be all of it or a little bit. That's the magic of it. So that's a reserve requirement. That's the overarching view of a market maker. When they register as a market maker under NASDAQ, they have certain net capital requirements. And net capital is like equity in the firm, okay? So for every stock that is $5 or less, okay, for every stock that's $5 or less, they have to have $1,000. For every stock that's over five that they make a market in, it's $2,500. So if they make a market in 10 stocks over $5, they have to have at least 25 grand. Oh, no. 
the minimum is a hundred. And again, this is for rare, normal, regular people don't care. But if you're taking the 24, maybe the 57, I doubt they're asking this, but you never know. Net capital is how much the, kind of the equity in the firm. So the market makers have to have a minimum of a hundred grand and a maximum of a million net between there. But then the way they decide is they look at how many stocks are making the market in. So again, for every stock they make a market in that's a thousand or less, it's $5 or less. So again, for every stock that's $5 or less, they only have to put up a thousand for each, for each security that they're doing. And for every stock that's over to five, they have to put down 2,500 in equity. They have to have that. But if it works out to be less than a hundred grand, they have to put down a hundred. And if it ends up being more than a million, say they make the market in like four or 500 stocks, then they, the max they'll have to do is a million. Again, minor point more 24 than 57. Now, remember, a market maker has to be in there from 9.30 to 4 on NASDAQ, okay? I'm not going to talk about over-the-counter. It's not really as much a thing on that stuff. They can quote as early as 4 a.m. and as late as 8 p.m. So 4 a.m. to 8 p.m. really is when they can quote. But the only time that they have to be there is from 9.30 to 4. And they can't go, they can't go without having a two-sided firm attributable quote. If they fail to quote, say they buy all their shares and they don't re-up the bid and they don't have a bid there, for a certain amount of time, they get kicked out. And that's the problem. And NASDAQ, if you get a, what they call an unexcused withdrawal, you get an unexcused withdrawal, you're out for 20 days, okay? So if you have an unexcused withdrawal, meaning you didn't get permission, I'm going to go through the reasons, then it's a, um, then you're out for 20 days. So here's the deal. Like unexcused withdrawals are like things that you could control. Like the market's too fast. No, you got to be there, okay? Like it's moving fast. If a lot of buy and sell orders come in, you can't back away. You can't cancel your quote and wait for shit. Those are unexcused. If you if you if you have a clearing arrangement, what's a clearing arrangement? Well, if you have a firm that clears your trades for you, right, and you cancel that without a bat without a new one in place, and you chose to do it, you're out for twenty days. So those are unexcused withdrawals. If it's too busy, too fast, stuff like that, market driven stuff or stuff that you could have controlled, you get an unexcused withdrawal. Like you remember from high school, you took a day off, unexcused. It's like cutting. Um, you get, you're punished for 20 days. You can't make a market in that stock for 20 days. But if you get an excused withdrawal, then you can go right back in. It's like for a good reason. Like say, um, if it, and remember, it's so an excused withdrawal is up to five days. Okay. So you can get up to five business days for that. So an excused withdrawal, you're knocked out for 20 business days. If an excused withdrawal, then you can be out of the stock for up to five business days, which is a week, right? without without worrying about being punished so things out of your control system failures equipment stuff like that um what was going to say if you if you have people on vacation now remember this that's for a small firm like if you have two market makers and one's on vacation you can pull your quotes excused for a week because you can't have one person do them all and that wouldn't be fair they allow for stuff like that if you're part of an underwriting group you remember we're going to talk about reg m and i think i don't know if i did it yet oh i did do reg m yeah so in reg m that's an excuse withdrawal you don't have to be there because you can't be because of Reg M. Now, you, you go for a passive market making, but if you don't want to do it, you don't have to. That's so basically, excuse withdrawals are for things out of your control. Jury duty and possession of inside information, um, equipment failure, vacation, inclement weather, like one of the people can't get there or they're sick. And again, Bank America, you don't get the choice. They better have backups, right? But a small firm that has like two or three market makers yeah, they can do that, okay? They can say, listen, 
I'm down a person. That's a third of my workforce. So I can so let me out of it. So an excuse withdrawal allows you to pull your quotes for up to five business days without worrying about being kicked out for 20 business days. If it's a legal issue, probably like insider trading or something like that, you're allowed up to 60 days. Now, the one other thing I talked about, which is an excuse withdrawal, is if you have a clearing arrangement and they shut down or they terminate it without your control, then you get 60 days to do it. Well, I shouldn't have said 60 days, but that's usually how long it takes to set up a new one. Yes, a couple of times in emergencies, like Lehman, when Lehman went under, Berkeley took over all their stuff like the next day. So that was an extent, that was like a, a really fast turnover. But if normally it's like, if you lose your clearing arrangement, it's not like part of some big thing, it might be a while to get it. So you're allowed to take as long as you want to get it back up. And then once you, you're up and back, they're not going to punish you with the 20-day penalty, okay? So again, excuse withdrawal, totally cool. They're a good reason, not market-related. They're more like out-of-your-control reasons. You get up to five days. Unexcused withdrawals are usually market-driven or you could have controlled it so they don't allow it. So then you have to wait 20 business days. Now remember, you have to be there all day. So sometimes like you'll have an offer or a bid and somebody clears out your offer, clears out your bid and you're like fighting with a girlfriend or you're on the can or something like that and you can't re-up it. So that becomes an accidental withdrawal. You can apply usually within an hour or so. If you apply to NASDAQ, they'll go, oh, sure, it was a mistake. They'll re they can reset you and don't punish you. That's like a mistake. That's why people set up AQR, automatic quote refresh, which means that even if you're decremented down to zero and you're on the can or fighting with a girlfriend or boyfriend, um, it'll automatically refresh your quote at an acceptable level away. So this way you're not without a quote. Now you don't want to turn AQR off because if you turn AQR off, and you don't um, re-up your quote, you could be nailed with an unexcused withdrawal. If you have AQR set up, automatic quote refresh, and something happens that's kind of out of your control again, so you're okay. Remember, that accidental withdrawal, they don't let you do all the time. It's There's a limit. It's not testable, but there's a limit. They're not going to let you do it every day. At some point, they're going to go, you know what? Maybe you need to take a break from market making because you're really not that good at it. So all the market makers have what they call an MPID, Market Participant Identification, okay? It is their call symbol, if you want to say. Like Merrill Lynch was MLCO. Bear was, there was, there was a couple of them, but B-E-A-R. Lehman with L-E-H-M. Bank America was BOFA, B-O-F-A. That's why we call it BOFA. Credit, Chris was, Credit Swiss was like CSFB, stuff like that. Like I remember my friend, he had a three-letter one because he was on the exchange. It was Warburg, so they called it War, which they loved, okay? So everyone has, all the broker dealers have a, that are going to be doing this have an MPID. It's an identifier. Now, that's the one that has to be quoted. So they have what they call a primary MPID. That's the main one. Like Bank America is both. And then maybe if a different one is like BOFD or something like that. Um, so the regular one is the primary. That's the one they track for quoting and reporting and all that stuff. So you have to have a firm two-sided quote with the primary MPID. Remember that your primary MPID is the one that has to have the firm two-sided quote. Because they allow for the bigger firms to have up to 10 supplemental. Because here's what happens. Say you're the market-making firm, and then maybe risk arbitrage or retail or research or investment banking wants to place an order somewhere. They don't want to confuse it with the market-making, so they have their own MPID. Those other MPIDs do not count toward the quote. The main quote is still done by the primary MPID. But there's also the market access rules. So you can actually, as a firm, if you have some extra MPDs, you can give them to customers or other prop firms or something so they can use yours and access the markets. The problem is 
there's ha- there's risk there because you're not controlling them. So there has to be a written policy to maintain, enforce, and monitor their trades. You have to protect against financial risk for the most part. Financial risk, errors, trades. You have to make sure they don't do erroneous trades. You are ulti- Your firm is ultimately responsible for that MPID that you gave. So you have to make sure that there's a plan in place to cover financial and all other risks. The biggest fear is that they send an erroneous or an outsized trade, right? So say they have a small firm and then they're supposed to put 40,000 shares or like say they want to buy $40,000 worth of stock and they put in an order to buy 40,000 shares. Big difference, right? So you have to have systems in place to go, wait a second. You're normally doing 200 share orders. Now you're doing a 40,000 share one. It'll kick it back. So the firm who gives the MPID to the customer under market access has to have policies and procedures in place to monitor and supervise and enforce the risk rules. So now we have Reg NMS, Nancy, Mary, Sam. Okay, Reg NMS is to protect the investors. A lot of it's a trade-through rule, best execution, shit like that. So it's preventing, a lot of it's about getting the best price for the customer and all that stuff. So we're going to get into this. So the first one is what they call a trade-through rule. Okay, a trade-through is when you, you know, let's just explain it, it's easy that way. So if I get an order, here's our quote. Market center A, market center A is bidding at 23 and offering at 23.75. Market center B is bidding at 23 and up for at 23.60. If you get an order <clears throat> to buy, say, 100 shares at the market, okay, and it gets routed to 20, to, what, where is it? Hold on. Uh, if it gets routed to here, well, that's a worse price. So that's called the trade-through because the better price is here. So the the order has to be routed to here under Reg NMS. The order has to be routed to 23, to the market center B because it's 2360. Because if you did it at 2375, you hurt this person and this person. So this is a trade-through. Like back when the exchange was the only place to trade, this didn't happen because all the best prices were in the one spot. But because there's multiple multiple centers market centers they have to come up with this again the trade through rule is when you trade at an inferior price to what's displayed so they're all displayed like this is the inside market 2360 by 23 it could be either one so if you can't do a trade up there at an inferior price because that's worse and the same thing works on the buy side so if i change this to what if i change this to 2290 so i get an order to sell 100 shares, okay, at the market. We'll see at the market, just so you have it. If I set it, ha- the system, the Reg NMS system has to go to this price, not this one. If it goes to B, it has to be routed to tw- the better price. Boom, it has to be at that better price. That is the way it has, that's, if you don't do it, it's called the trade-through. Now, there are exceptions to the trade-through rule, okay? So we'll go through these now, but understand that if you want to sell it, you have to sell it at the best price. So it has to go to the, if you're going to sell, has to find the market center with the highest price. And if you're going to buy, it has to go to the um, market center with the lowest price, not the 75, it has to go to the 60. And that's for all stock exchange, whether it's New York Stock Exchange, NASDAQ, American, all the exchanges over the counter, this is not applied to. Okay. Now, exception to this trade-through rule is like, okay, one, if it's an ISO, ISO sweep order, Okay. An ISO sweep is like, let me do it this way. Okay, so let's do a ISO sweep order. This is one of the exceptions to the trade rule, and you'll see why it kind of works. So 
Market Maker B, Market Center B has an offer at 2360. That's the best offer. Market Center A has multiple people offering, okay? We have 100. I'm going to do 100 shares each. Since they don't do a quote, it's 100. 100 at 62, 100 offered at 65, 100 offered at 67, and 100 offered at 70. So those are all prices where it's offered on Market Center A. And let's just say Market Center B is here. Now, I get an order to buy 500 shares. I could do this by, by 100 here, by 100 there, 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 okay? And I do it all those prices at each one. The problem with that, so here's why the sweep orders work. So if a sweep orders, I'll explain how it works. You have 500 shares to buy. You want to buy all of these. This is 500 offered. 100 at 60, 100 at 62, 100 at 65, 67, and 70. Well, if you would, here's what happens because HFTs are faster than us and they can react. So if you were to buy 100 shares at 60, maybe nothing would happen. If, then, if you then at the next second go to buy 100 at 62, all the algorithms go, wait a second, there's a buyer. So they'll cancel all the orders and you won't get them. So you miss out on them and you have to pay a much higher price. So what's going to happen is you're going to sweep them up. So what is an ISO sweep order means you can actually trade at inferior prices at the same time as this. So what you're going to do is you have to buy the 100 here. This is what they call a protected quote. A protected quote is when it's out there and displayed and it is either the highest bid or the lowest offer. That must be honored, okay? So if you're going to buy a 500 shares you at the market, you're going to have to pay at least the, the 60 there. You take that out, okay? Now, at the exact same time, you buy it here, 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 and here. Sometimes they even have it where they sweep them all up and buy them all at 70 to access them and they're happy. But a lot of the things they're trying to show you that what they do is they'll buy 100 at 62, at 65, 67, and 70, all at the same time, <clears throat> which are technically inferior to this. And maybe, let's say Market Center B has, you know, quotes, you know, an offer maybe at 23.63, right? So what happens is if you're going to buy it at 65 and 67 and 70, that's actually screwing this person over. The reason we do this, okay, is that if I buy it here and I go buy this, and then I go here, and then I go buy this, by that time, all these are gone. So they allow you to go, okay, you can't screw the protected quote over. This one's, this is not protected because it's not on the inside market. So you're going to buy the five, you're going to buy 100 at 60, and then you're going to buy 100 at 62, 65, 67, and 70 to get the 500 shares. And yes, your customer is going to pay a higher price than if he had bought each one in its own. He'd pay a little bit lower if he did each one. But here's a problem. It won't be there. If you do the normal way where you go, you know, boom, boom, boom. By the time you get here, this is gone and these are gone. So they'll be raised because the computer's like, oh, there's a buyer. They raised the prices. You'll have to pay like 75 or 80 cents, which is not good. So it's kind of a sneaky way of getting your orders in. You buy 160, 162, 65, 67, and 70. And the reason you do here is because you can do it all on one market center or exchange. So you don't have to go ping pong back and forth and waste time. Because I'm telling you right now, HFT, high frequency traders, you're talking hundreds of a millisecond or what I guess a millisecond. It's the how fast they can read shit. So you won't have time to go back and forth. They're faster than us. That's what they pay for. That's what, all they do. You're trying to you know get on little orders like that. So an ISO sweep is an, is an exception to the trade through rule because you have to because of the way the system is so that's what a sweep order is it goes the other way too on a sell side the bottom line is you're putting an order in you have to take the lowest cost or the lowest offer 
or the highest bid. That's called the protected quote, no matter what exchange it is. Then you go to one single exchange and sweep up all the offers or sweep up all the bids to complete your order. Again, this is not for retail. This is for sophisticated people who understand the mechanizations, mechanizations of the business. Okay, here are some other exceptions to the trade-through rule. Usually odd lots don't count. I think they are. If you're doing, if it's an error, you don't have to do it. Um, if the system, if you do it with uh, no help, is it no help? I forget what it's called. Where I think it's called a no help, where maybe this, the market maker's offer is locked up. There's a computer problem or something like that, okay? Um, if you do a volume-weighted average price, a VWAP trade, a VWAP trade, or some sort of multi-part order, where I give you 100,000 shares to buy, and I say VWAP it, which means volume-weighted average price it, you'll never have to do the math on this, okay? And you go, okay, so what you're going to do is you're the broker-dealer. You're going to buy it into your own principal over the day and try to get a good average. And at the end of the day, you're going to sell the shares to me at the average price, at what the average price on the day was. Instead of you selling it to me every time you buy it, you'll just bulk it up. You'll buy the 100,000 shares over an eight-hour period and then sell it to me as one big print for the average price, whatever we agreed on. That would violate the trade-through rule probably all the time, but then you, that's okay. And you would usually put what they call a modifier .w on it to let everyone know in the system that this is not really a trade that's happening. This is a, a trade that's reflective of a longer all-day order. So one of the other exceptions is what they call self-help. When something's wrong with my system, okay? When my system is screwed up and I'm a market maker and I can't update my quotes or something like that and the market's moving, well, you can trade through my price because it's called a self-help when there's something wrong with my system and I can't update my quotes. So my quotes are not actively representing what's going on in the market. Those are all sort of like um, exceptions to the trade-through trade rule. So now let's actually get into the types of orders. And I don't mean limit order type. I'm talking the real types of orders that you place in the NASDAQ system. So the first one is a directed order. So a directed order is when you actually, when you send, send an order that's directed directly to a specific market center with a price. It has to be immediate or canceled. So what happens is if you see that market center B is offering 500 shares at 2360, you send an order for 500 to 2360 or more or whatever you want. And it's immediate or canceled. It goes right to that thing. It doesn't check the book. It doesn't look for better prices or anything. It goes right to that quote. And it either executes or it doesn't. Okay. Whatever doesn't get executed comes back to the issuer. Like I'll sh the issuer, the person who sent the order. I'm going to set. There's other orders where they don't do that, like scan and stigy. So I'm going to get into them. But a directed order is you go right to the, the person, the market center where you want to take the offer or hit the bid. It doesn't check around for better prices or the whole NASDAQ book, which is a list of all orders. And whatever is not executed comes immediately back to the person who entered the order. So that's a directed order. Now, that may make you think, wait a second, there's a thing called the non-directed order. Non-directed orders are orders where the customer doesn't dictate what market center it goes to. So the broker dealer can choose what market center to send it to. And those are non-directed orders. And that's what the 606 report. 606 is a quarterly report listing up all the order routing of all your non-directed because you're letting the broker dealer choose. They're making sure there's no pay to play or something wrong going on because there's soft dollar. There's, you know, um, order or payout order. I can't remember the word for it. Hold on. Couldn't think of it. Payment for order flow. I couldn't think of the word. So they want to make sure that there's no bad things going on. So they do a public report, a 606 report. Every broker dealer that, that takes undirected orders has to do that. Remember, directed orders don't matter because a customer or person placing the order is telling you where to send it. 
So the non-direct order, you don't, the broker dealer chooses. So they got to make sure they're not just sending it to one single firm every time. Now we're going to start hanging into the more obscure type of orders. But here's the thing. I, they may be tested because somebody just took the other day, passed, said he saw a bunch of order type stuff and he's stuff he had never heard of. So I'd rather give you a little bit too much information than you, than you, than you need because that would help. And the vendors don't cover this shit. So before I get into it, there's a different types of exchanges or market centers where some of them pay you for adding liquidity. Like if you place a limit order or a limit order to buy or a limit order to sell and you're just providing liquidity, adding to the quote, like if there's stock to buy, let's see if it's still up here. Okay, so over here, say this is the inside market right here, 23 by 2062, say whatever it is. If you give an order to buy 500 shares, I hope I'm recording right. If I buy, if you give an order by 500 shares at 23, you're increasing the liquidity. You're making the bid bigger. Say it was 100. Now it's going to be 600. Okay. So you're adding liquidity. You're providing liquidity. And most exchanges will give you a tiny little rebate for doing that. Same thing. If you do a sell side, um, sell 500 at 23.62, then you're going to get money. You're going to get a rebate because that's going to make this now, say it was 100 before. Now this is going to show 600. So you're creating more ability for people to buy and sell. So they'll rebate you for that. They'll actually give you money for that. However, if you place an order, either at the market or even a marketable limit like this, 62, this thing's going to be executed right away, right? You take this 500 to buy, it's going to execute right against this. You're taking liquidity. So most exchanges will charge you for that, okay? So understand, if you, pay, if you have a limit order and it gets put on the book as a bid, if you want to buy and it goes on the bid side, like here at the 23, you're adding liquidity. But if you do it and you take an offer, like you're buying it right away, you're taking liquidity, so they charge you. Most exchanges give you, they if you add liquidity, they pay you. And if you take liquidity, they charge you. And the amount they charge you is a little bit more than what they give you. So there's no like way you can just go back and forth. But there are people who actually execute orders. There are orders that are set to follow these rules and look for the place where they get the most rebate or the least amount of charges. So that's part of what a smart router does where the order will go to different exchanges. So like MCA may charge you 0.0002 to take it, but then MCB would charge you 0.0001 and a half or something like that. So it'll charge you less. So maybe the order routes automatically to B first if they're the same price. There's a lot of shit going on in this crap, okay? Most exchanges or market centers, if you take liquidity, they charge you. If you provide liquidity, they reward you. But there are what they call inverse, where they do the opposite, where they pay you to take and then they charge you to provide. It seems weird, but it is what it is. I guess it's a way to get people to use them. So if you're taking an offer or hitting a bid and you're taking liquidity away, these inverse exchanges will pay you for that. They'll pay you to take liquidity and they'll charge you to provide liquidity. So it's a weird thing. And the routers take advantage of that. They'll do that. So that is getting me to my next system. So there's an order type called a C-A-R-T. And I'm going to show you what NASDAQ has. A C-A-R-T. I just don't want this shit to show up and you not know what it is. Okay. So cart order. So what happens is if the first, when you get an order and it's not directed where they just make it a cart order, it's going to go to this BX first, NASDAQ BX. Okay. But look, they rebate you. Okay. So if you buy shares, it's going to go here first. This is how the smart routers work. So what they do. Okay, so now one of the route, order routing is a cart. It's a smart router, okay? So it tries to help you get the most money back for your orders. So the first thing, when you enter a cart order, it'll go to the BX, right? So the BX is one of those reverse exchanges 
where if you take an offer or hit a bid, they'll pay you. So it's going to send it there first. So maybe you buy or sell and make a little money, right? So that's a good thing. And then anything unexecuted to go to the next one, which actually charges you for doing it, but maybe it charges you less than other places charge you. But either way, it's trying to go to the place where it'll get paid first. And then the next one is going to go where they charge you, but hopefully not a lot. And then anything left unexecuted will show up in the book. Okay. And if you if you go to the NASDAQ book, right? If you go to the NASDAQ book, which is a NASH, the market center execution and quoting system, they're going to charge you a little bit more. See, so look how this goes. You start with this when you go to the one where they'll pay you to buy, take an offer, hit a bid. And then they'll go to the, if anything unexecuted, they go here where they charge you, but they charge you less than what NASDAQ does, okay? And then again, so it goes BX first, whatever's left goes to the BSX where they charge you, whatever's left over goes to the NASDAQ, which charges a little more, and then boom. If anything unexecuted will show up in the NASDAQ book as part of the inside, the level two, or level one, whatever it is. And, um, and then if you get hit, if you're bidding on the bid side, and it's on the book and somebody hits your bid, you actually get a rebate. So the whole point of this is that the B, it sends it where you're going to get the most money first. One, where you get a rebate. Then where you have to pay a little bit less, a little bit more. And then the last one, you put it on the book as a bidder offer and it's adding liquidity. So if somebody hits your bid or takes your offer, you're going to get paid. That's a cart order. All these orders have something to do with this shit. Okay, that's one. Okay, so the next one is called an LISD list. Do so you do it for the opening? So it routes. So first of all, you send the order for the opening. It's called the LIST. It'll either execute on the open or the close, or obviously in between. So first thing where it trades, it'll go to the primary listing place for the opening. If it doesn't get executed, okay. If it doesn't get executed on the opening, whatever. This is not like a market on open order. This is a list order, okay. Anything after that, if it's left over. It'll go to check the NASDAQ book. And if you're buying or selling at a price, it'll re remove liquidity and get charged, like taking an offer, boom, now. And then whatever's left over goes, go, it takes any protected market center quotes, anything that's out there that's protected, like an offer that's out there, okay? And they charge you if it's on the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ, it just takes protected quotes. You don't have to go crazy on this, okay? And then all day long, it tries to buy this. And then whatever's left over, and then whatever's left over goes on the NASDAQ book as a bid or offer, so it can be executed against. And then the third one, the third one, I said actually the fifth one, is if it's the end of the day at 358, anything unexecuted, boom, it'll go on to the closing process. It'll join the closing process. So again, a list order starts to go for the opening. Anything left over goes to the, checks the NASDAQ book, tries to buy or sell at a price. Whatever's left over goes, to, looks for protected quotes by market makers. The, the second to last one, anything left over goes on the book as a bidder offer. And then any at 358, anything still left over will go into the market on close process. And that's an LIST order. Again, probably not crazy. I just don't want to have one show up and go, what the hell is that? Okay, let's do this. QDark, QDRK. It's an order that you place in, QDRK. It goes to NASDAQ and the dark pool. Dark pools are what they call low cost liquidity venues. So that's dark pools are where you don't see and you don't see the orders or who's in there. It's total lack of transparency. It helps the big customers to not really move the market because this doesn't cost a lot. And the market movement is not very much because nobody sees that you're out there buying 500,000 shares. Okay, so it's dark. But these orders also go to the NASDAQ and the, low, and the dark pools. And then the next one that's like it is QCST. QCST. That is the same as QDark. NASDAQ can cost local and, and dark pools, 
but it also ha hits the other ones that I showed you where they pay, they rebate you, like the BX and those other ones. Again, not too bit detailed, just want to make sure it's there in case you see it. So then we have a save order, S-A-V-E. It's literally like the first one I did where it first goes, like I'll show you. So the first time, when you get the order first, it goes to the inverted place. This is called the save order. It goes to the BX where you get rebated for taking liquidity. Then it goes to the PSX where you get charged for taking liquidity. Then it goes to the NASDAQ book where you could charge less. Remember before it's 30 cents. So it goes to the NASDAQ book and it charges you less. So the save, think save like a discount. You're saving money. And then if anything executed, it goes to the protected quotes and everywhere else. And you get charged. And then last, if unexecuted, it shows up in the book. So again, the save is just like the other order. I, the first one I did, which I can't even remember what the hell the name of it is. That's the C-A-R-T order. It's very much like the C-R-T. It goes to the place where you get paid for get your rebates. And then it'll go to, and then it'll go to the one where you get charged. And then it'll go to the NASDAQ book. But you pay less. The other one was 30 cents. Point, not 30 cents. It's 0.0030. This is 0.0027. So it's cheaper. It's a discount. Think save as discount. Anything else, it goes to the, um, if it, again, goes to the BX where you get paid for taking liquidity. Then goes to the PSX where you get charged for taking liquidity. Then it goes to the NASDAQ book where you get charged for taking liquidity, but less than you would have if you did a regular cart order. Then if anything unexecuted goes to the New York Stock Exchange or other protected quotes or anywhere else, okay? And then last, if unexecuted, it shows up in the book as a better offer. That's save. Okay, forget that. So S-A-V-E, S -A -V -E, save. Once it shows on the book, it stays there. And that's all it is. So the save, it goes to the BX, the PSX. It goes to rebate. They get charged. You charge on the NASDAQ. It goes on the book. Once it posts on the book, it will not leave. It'll stay there. Even if there's an offer somewhere that like locks or crosses the market, it won't go out and find that. Where there's another one called S-O-L-V, which is literally the same as save, except for once it's on the book, it keeps looking. It's looking, looking, looking. And if it sees an offer that matches where they're willing to bid, which would be a locked offer, locked across market, it'll go out to that market and send it. So always think that these, you have a, a router. It's a smart router, right? So you send it to the, you're sending it to an order. And if it doesn't execute it, it comes back and sits on the book, like waiting to see if there's an offer. That's what SOLV does. Save. Once it's on the book, it sits there. And if another offer comes out later, it won't go find it. They have to come to it. Kind of like a little untitled, if you think, of it, think about it. Okay, TFTY is a type of order also, order routing, where think thrifty. It sounds like thrifty, right? It's cheap. Who goes to BX where they get rebated, right? Almost all these order routers go to the place where they get rebated first because they want to get money. If then it goes to what they call a low-priced liquidity venue, which is literally a dark pool, but it's very cheap. They only, instead of getting charged like 0.0027, it's 0.00005. You don't need to know the numbers. Just know that a low price liquidity venue is cheaper. So again, we're going the cheaper route. We go BX to get rebated. Then we go to the low price liquidity venues where they charge less. Then it goes to the PSX where they charge you. Then it goes to the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ. So again, TFTY is like being thrifty, saving money, right? So it goes to the BX where you get rebates. If not, if it's unexecuted, then it goes to the low price, low price liquidity venues. Literally, I can't say that, where it's very cheap to get charged. If it doesn't get executed, it goes to the PSX, where you get charged. If it doesn't get executed, then it goes to either the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ, and hopefully sits on the book, or gets executed, and but they get charged. Okay, there's only two more that we probably have to talk about. It's called SCAN, C-A-N, okay? C-A-N. 
S-C-A-N, scan, S-C-A-N, okay? So first it goes against the orders on the book, right? So first it, it's going to attempt to execute at the best possible price. And any, that's like the normal order, right? Scan is looking for speed, right? So we're trying to send it out. We send out the order to buy it at a price. We hopefully buy it at a price. Anything left unexecuted will then go on the book. So let's say I order buy stock at 24 and it's offered at 2390 or 2399 or 24. It'll execute against those orders and anything left over, it'll just go on the book and it'll sit there. Okay. The scan order, it tries to buy it at the best offer or sell it at the best bid, whatever it is, at all those prices that, and it goes there. I'm stuttering. But once anything left unexecuted, it'll just sit as a bid or an offer on the book. Okay. Remember, always think the book is the list of all the order, the buys and sell orders that are waiting to be executed. Now, an alternative of that is STGY, stingy. I just say it's stingy, but here's why. Scan, once it goes onto the book, it sits there, it will not look for offers that match its price. But an STGY absolutely will. An STGY absolutely will, once it's on the book, it'll start looking for other orders. It'll look for other stuff. It'll say, oh, look, if, if, and they call it if the order, if the market gets locked or crossed, which means their bid could be executed by another person's offer, it'll go out and route to it and it'll find it. Okay. That's what it is. So scan, it tries to execute at the best price possible. Whatever's left undone will go on the limit order, like a normal order would. But then once it's on the order, it's there. And the only way it'll execute if somebody goes to it. STGY is basically what's going to happen is we are on. We do the same thing. We try to buy the best price, either buy at the lowest price or sell at the highest price. Whatever is left over will sit on the book as a bid or an offer, but then they will scan. They will be looking. I shouldn't have said that word. They'll be looking that if they see that the market becomes locked or crossed where it can be executed, it'll go out and route it to that order, to that place. That are the main order types that you're going to get screwed over by not knowing what they are. Because again, probably not on there, but I've had three people say they got a list of orders. They couldn't remember what they were. But those are the main ones that could be tested. So hope that helps a little bit. We got a lot more to do. Okay, peg orders. D don't Google too much. If you're going to Google it, make sure you write peg order. Don't just write peg. You'll not be happy with that. Okay. Well, maybe you'll be. Who knows? But um, a peg order helps market makers kind of keep up their quoting stuff. You can place peg orders too. So here's the down and dirty on it. It's not super hard. So if I place an order, there's, there's, two, there's three types. There's a primary peg a midpoint peg and a market or reverse peg. Okay. Now the three types. So a primary peg, if I'm, a, it'll be what they call it. On the, they call it the same side of the market. So I'm going to put them up here. So for primary peg, I'm going to say buy, I might even be a market order, but buy, you know, buy a thousand, you know, at the market, I'll call it primary peg, just PP. They don't call it that. I'm just going to do that. So what's going to happen is since it's a buy, it's going to match the same side of the market. So it's going to be right here. It's going to stay with it. Now you can offset and say, I want a penny below, a penny above, whatever it is, but it's going to track this. So right now you're going to put the peg order and it's going to say buy a thousand and 23, but you can say, I want to offset a penny. So maybe it'll say buy a thousand to 2301 or 2299, somewhere around the bid side. If it's a buy order. Okay. Let me get this. one. doesn't get super confusing. Okay. Now, Let's say, it's, let's say it's 23. Now, if the quote changes to 2301, our order will go up to 2301. If it goes to 2305, 
our order will go to 23.5. It tracks the, the bid side. And if this was a sell order, it would track the offer. If this was sell 100 primary peg, it would be tracking the 23.62 and usually some offset within a penny or two of it. And it would track it. It would move up and down with it. If the offer went to 23.61, it would go to 23.61. If it went to 69, it would follow. If it went to 60, it would follow. So it just stays with the same side of the market. That's what a peg does. It's an algorithm. It does have to be attributable. You have to know who it is, who the firm is, but that's what it's doing, okay? That's to keep, as a market maker, that's how you play around. Now, a midpoint peg, I mean, they all do the same thing. It's going to be right in the middle. It's going to always track the middle. And if these both move up, then this will move up. Like, say the middle here is like, say, oh, let's make it 23. So I don't even know it's the middle, but let's say it is. Let's say 23. That means it would bid like 23.30 right in the middle. But if if this went to 23.01 and this went to 20, you know, 23.61, then maybe it would bid 23.31. It's a midpoint. It's going to bid right in the middle or offer right in the middle of the two. And it's going to track the inside market to track it. Now, a reverse peg is a little, it's pretty much the same thing, but it's based on the opposite side of the market. So it'll bid right there. So basically the bid will go to the offer and the offer will go to the bid. But you can put an offset and say, listen, I don't want to pay 23 c I want to be a penny or two pennies or five cents off, which means you'll place an ultimate top of like, say, 24, that you won't pay higher than that. Okay, no matter what happens, even if the market skyrockets up, you'll stop at 24. But right now, let's say I want to do this with a one penny offset, okay, penny offset. That means when you place this order, it'll bid 23, in this case, 23.60. If the or if the offer went up to twenty three sixty five, what do you think this would do? Yes, you're right. This would go to twenty three sixty four. One penny offset. You can change the offset. You can be, you can say it's you know five cents or eight cents or whatever you want. It can be right there. So you're bidding, and then what happens is if you go like this, let's pretend the market actually keeps changing and it goes to twenty four oh five. Well, you have an ultimate cap of twenty four on it. So this would just stop following you up to 24 and it'll stay there. Just become a bid there. Okay, so a market cap or reverse pack goes the other side, right? So if it's a market order to buy, it'll go just below the offer, depending on what your offset is, and it'll follow it up or down. Now, if it's a market order to sell, let's say it was a sell over here. Sell. Sell a thousand, at, you know, there's not a market primary peg, it's a market peg or a reverse peg. Okay, that means you're going to track the bid so say it's 2301 you'll offer it 2302 if you said it's a penny offset if the if the market if the bid goes to 23 uh goes to 23 this will drop down to 2301 kind of cool it's like a little algorithm but again there'll be a floor on it like maybe you set a floor like 22 so no matter how low the market goes you will never sell it below 22 so that's a peg order it's an algorithm kind of order where it just tracks so primary peg this is what you need to know. Primary peg tracks the bid side or on a bid and the offer side on an offer. A market peg is going to be the opposite side. So if it's a buy, it tracks the inside offer, just a, maybe a penny below. And if it's a market peg sell, it's going to be a penny above. I hope that helps. I hope I didn't make it worse. So let's, let's, am I still recording? Yeah, good. So that heard me get a bad call. Okay, so let's say I get a discretionary order. So I'm going to say discretionary is a little different on the system. I'm going to say I'm going to buy a thousand at twenty twenty three with fifty cent discretion. Okay, 
So it's so it's buy at 23 with 50 cent discretion. So all this means is that we're going to bid 23. Boom. We're going to bid 23. But if anyone comes in at because 23 plus 50. So if anyone comes in to sell stock at 23.50 or lower, we're going to buy it. So I'm saying I'm willing to bid 23. But if you see an order, an offer come in at 23.50 or lower, buy it. Okay. So again, buy a thousand at 23, you have 50 cent discretion. You don't get to play with it. You're going to bid 23. The only time you come off that 23 top is if you see an offer where you can buy the stock at 50 cents or below and boom, then you do it. That's all it is. You're getting some discretion to take an offer if it comes in within your parameters. Okay. Now that we talked about those crazy fucking orders, right? So let's talk about time and force, basically how long they'll be in effect. So there's really two choices. There's market day, which is like, or market goods will cancel, which means the order is only good from 930 to four. So whether it's a day order, which is nine times out of 10, or a, or a good to cancel, if I don't say anything, we assume it's a, day, it's a market day, which is 930 to 4 p.m., whether it's good to cancel or not. So if you put an order in to buy 1,000 shares at 40, good to cancel, and you don't say anything, it's going to be 930 to 4. So even if it trades below your price after 4 or before 930 a.m. in the next morning, you're not buying anything. It's only going to, if it happens during the day. That's a market day. The other one is called the system day, is which we basically between any time between 4 a.m. and 8 p.m. You can do trades during that. It'll trade during the day, during the market day, and before and after. So if you put a good to cancel order in system day, if it trades at any point below your price, you're going to get some, which is what not everyone does because people it's very volatile to buy outside the range, outside that market day. Super volatile, you may get ripped off. I remember back in early 2000s, every time we did a trade, at like we got like there was a deal going on, and we went to another broker to try to do something after the bell. Almost every time, it was like we bought it at a price, and then we would have got it at a better price if we waited for the next morning. Almost every single time. So it's very volatile, and you're going to pay a lot or sell it for lower than you wanted to normally because there's much less liquidity after and before the bell. Okay, we're going to talk about ADF, which is totally overcovered in the books. And then the questions, the books talk about it way too much and they ask way too many questions. Remember, I don't know if you saw the video I did where I said, stop doing just questions because they ask outliers the things that you don't know. That's kind of what they, they don't question you on the main shit. They question you on the outliers, the exceptions. But you get a lot of ADF, ADF questions and all my students go, oh my God, I don't get it. Don't worry about it. You're going to get maybe one or zero questions on it. ADF is open from 8 a.m. to 6.30 p.m. It is for non-eligible ECNs and other people who can't quote on NASDAQ to show their quotes. That's it. It's quote only. You do not need to know any more than that. So let it go. Since I mentioned ECNs, I'll bring it up. An ECN is an electronic platform that matches up buyers and sellers. It's not a market maker. It doesn't act as a principal. It's agency only. They match buyers and sellers through their system. Usually they have to be, they usually broker dealers set them up and they have to be registered with an exchange and all these other regular regulators. That's it. An ECN is an electronic platform that allows non-member firms to access the market through the ECNs. That's it. They match up buyers and sellers. Nothing crazy. A lot of the stuff on the OTC market stuff is just memorization. I'm going to go over a couple of things that are high level, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I want to get to the SEC and FINRA trading rules as soon as I can before we hit two fucking hours. Okay. So the over-the-counter is the pinks. And I don't know if they still mention bulletin boards, but it's the pink sheets and unlisted securities. And the trading takes place over the counter, which means broker dealer to broker dealer, dealer to dealer, not on an exchange. Now, these securities that trade over the counter 
are not allowed to trade on the exchange. They're not big enough. They haven't met the listing requirements. So they're a little riskier. I'm not allowed to say that, but they are riskier. So there's some rules on this. The market making isn't as strict. You can, you could remember how in the NASDAQ, we had to be there from 930 to four every day, two-sided. Here, you can have a one-sided quote or a two-sided quote. Quotes have to be firm, but you can put things in there that are not quite quotes. Looking for bids, I'm looking for offers, all this stuff, your other stuff, indications of interest you can actually throw out there. The whole point is that you're not, it's not an exchange and, and the rules for market making are not the same. You can go in and out same day, go in, get out. There's no excuse or unexcused withdrawal. It doesn't matter. And now the quoting, normally a normal unit of shares or hundred shares when you quote, that's over the, that's NASDAQ. Okay, NASDAQ, third market near stock exchange, minimum quote size is really a hundred shares. Anything under than that is an odd lot. And that's the same thing for over the counter Unless the stock is under a dollar, they're not going to make you remember that. So between one dollar, if the market price is between a dollar and a one seventy four ninety nine, it's a hundred share minimum. If it's over one seventy five, it could be a one one share minimum. Quote: If it's under a dollar, it goes up to a thousand, twenty five hundred, ten thousand minimum shares. I don't think they're going to make you do that. Every book has a chart on it. But like if you go from like. 51 cents to 99 cents, it's a thousand shares for each quote. So, like if you quote 99 cents by a dollar five, the bid has to be a thousand shares, but the offer has to be a hundred shares minimum because it's the quote is the quote. So, if you put a bid out there that's between 51 cents and 99 cents, if you put a quote out there between 51 cents and 99 cents, the bid is a thousand minimum. And if the offer is above a dollar or a dollar and higher, it can actually just be a hundred shares. So if you do a two-sided quote, but again, you don't have to do a two-sided quote. There's much more risk to this. Like when they talk about penny stocks, they're trading here and under five bucks a share. Okay, if you want to register as a market maker on the over-the-counter markets, it's not like NASDAQ where you have to do all this stuff. You have to, you're going to have to create a form called under 15C211, SEC rule 15C211. You have to fill out a form listing all this stuff, okay? Listing has a prospectus, an offering circular, all the information can't be too old. It can't be too new. All that stuff. You don't have to know it all, but you have to have all that stuff. You have to fill it out and review it to make sure that your price that you're going to come out with and all the documents and you're backing up that you understand what the company is. You know as much about the company as you possibly can. And then you, you put up a quote, you publish a quote. You have to justify the price of that quote, why you think that's what it's worth. That's a 15C211, and that's a pain. That's a massive form that you got to fill out and, and fill out and review and make sure it's appropriate, all that stuff. But that's if you're going to be the first market maker in a stock. And then you submit it to FINRA. Of course, there are exceptions because that's way always, always exceptions. So let's say a stock was on the NASDAQ before the New York Stock Exchange and got delisted yesterday. You can just start quoting, okay? So the, that's an exception to the 15C211 rule. It's already been on an exchange and got delisted, Okay. Another one is if it's a muni or a treasury or um, the underwriter started a quote, or if I'm, if I'm doing it for a customer, if I put a quote out for an unsolicited order for a customer, I don't have to do all this shit. Like unsolicited is like a magic get out of jail free card. Okay. Um, and then the other one is what they call a piggy. So the exception is what they call the piggyback rule, where as long as there's been actively quoted at least a one-way quote in that stock without at least four days, it used to be 12 out of 30. Now it's just, the rule specifically says if there has not at least been four days, successive days without a quote, you can jump in. There are other rules, but here's the deal. Normally, if you do it, if you're going to uh, 
make a market in a over-the-counter security. If there's no market makers, you have to fill out the whole 15C211, all that stuff, and submit it to FINRA. Now, if there's already a quote in there, you can piggyback on that person's status as long as in the, there has not been a four-day period, successive days, without a quote. Then what happens if you go without the quote, then you have to do the whole 15C211. So I think they simplified it, said, as long as it's not four days without a quote, at least a one-sided quote in the stock, then you can jump in and not have to fill out the full 15C211. That's the exception that's called the piggyback rule. It may show up. If you want to read about penny stocks, read them. It's just memorization shit. Okay. Most of it's about what they are and um, the exceptions where you don't have to do the disclosure or the new account form. That's just memorization. I'm not doing that. Okay. So the rule on NASDAQ market makers is they have a firm quote rule. You must have a firm quote, a firm two-sided quote for all for, from 930 to 4. You only have to do 930 to 4. You don't have to do till 8. That's literally what it is. Okay. That is a firm quote. Now, what is a firm quote? A firm quote is that you, it's a quote that you will absolutely honor. So if I say I'm willing to buy, a, buy 100 shares of 42, I have to be willing to buy 100 shares of 42. I can't change my mind. If I want to sell 1,000 shares at 43, and I quote it that way, so if I do 42, let's do it. Let's say I'm market maker A. Market maker A. I'm bidding 40 for 400, and I'm offering 500 at 40.50. And let's say whatever it is. Those, so that's my quote. It has to be reasonable to the inside market. I think the number is 8%. You can look that fucking shit up. Now, because that's stats. I don't care about stats. Now, trying to can't know where to put my drink. I have a drink. messy desk. Now, that's my bid and offer. I have to be willing to buy 400 shares. Remember, I'd really write that as four and that is five, but I'm leaving up there so we can understand it. So I'm willing to buy 400 shares at 40 and sell 500 at 40 and 50. That is a firm quote. I have to be willing to do that. So if a buyer comes in and wants to buy 500 shares, anything up to 500 shares, I have to sell it to them. I, I can't back away. Now, back if I don't honor that quote, it's called backing away unless I was in the middle of changing a quote, and that's where CAT comes in, CAT, attracts my orders and all that. Um, I'm probably not going to talk about that. You can read it. So... If I'm offering 550 cents and you come in and want to buy the 500, I go, whoa, I'm not selling it to you. There's only two ways that's okay. One is if I'm in the middle of changing my quote and you just cat caught me and that's fine. Two, if I've just executed 500 shares at 50 and again, in the middle of changing my quote. Those are the only real exceptions to this backing away. If it's not one of those reasons, it's backing away. And that's where if you think I was backing away, you would call the firm quote compliance system and reach out to them. It's like 1-800-NASDAQ kind of thing. And they would come and nail me and go, what did you back away? And they'll probably try to just make, I'd still get in trouble, but they try to make me honor the quote if I was backing away. Or they'd say, oh, I do see that you were in the middle of changing a quote. Never mind. We'll go talk to the person. Boom. That's that. Now, there's a thing called trade or fade. So if I come in, how many shares do I have to offer? If, I, if you come in to buy stock, how many shares do I have to sell to you? Yes, 500 only. I don't have to sell you more. 
But what if you come in and say, you say you send an order to me and say, buy, you know, 600 at 4050. 4065, that's crazy. And we'll talk about the penny stuff for a second. Now, you come in with an order to buy 600 or 4050. I can sell you the 500. I don't have to sell you any more than that. So the trade or fade means either trade it or fade it. So I have to sell you the 500 for sure. But if I don't sell you the other 100, I have to pull my quote. I can't legitimately say I'm willing to sell stock at 50 if I leave you with 100 shares to buy at that price because you're now the bid. So you buy, you want to buy 600 and 40, 50. You come into me and I go, oh, I'll sell you 500. If I do that, then I have to update my quote to a higher price. Even if it's 51, I have to change it because I can't legally say I'm willing to sell stock at 50 and you're willing to buy it at 50 and I don't sell it to you. So that's called the trade or fade rule. That's what's going on there. And that same thing on the sell side. I'm willing to buy 400 shares at 40. If you come in with 600 shares to sell at 40, I have to buy the whole 600. I only have to buy the four. But if I want to stay there bidding, I have to buy all of all of what you ask. Or I can't say I'm willing to buy stock at 40 because there's stock out there being willing to be sold at 40 and I'm not buying it. Also, remember, whenever I change my quotes, it has to be in the minimum one penny increments so i can go to change it to 51 right i can change this to 51 i can change it to 60 i can change it to 51 52 53 whatever it is i cannot so i can do that i can do that 51 i cannot do 55 55 and a half or i can't do 50 and half a penny i can't do that the only time you can do that is if it's under a dollar and not on an exchange so everything's minimum price so that's where, how about this one? So oh, we'll get to it when we get to order display. So that's it. Every quote has to be in a minimum of a penny, 51, 52, whatever it is. And I think that works. And a minimum of 100 shares on NASDAQ. I talked about this before. I cannot answer, I cannot enter a quote that would lock or cross the market. If it does, then it executed. So again, I cannot enter a quote that would lock the market. What does lock at the market mean? That means if I go back to my screen, if let's pretend... I'm not going to do everything. Say this is the inside market right here, okay? I cannot, as a market maker B, enter a quote which has a 40-50 bid because that's basically, I've done this already, but I'm just doing it quick because you don't watch the whole video. 40-50 bid. I can't do that because that would lock the market or even 51 because that would cross the market. And as an offer, I can't put an offer in at 40 because that would lock the market or 39.99 or lower because that would cross the market. I can't do that. That's a violation. Now, what they'll do is they'll just execute the trade. They'll just execute it, and I'll sell my stock at 40, but I'll also get in trouble because I'm not supposed to do that. Okay. Now, the opening cross, open, this is for NASDAQ only. The opening cross happens at 9.30, right? So there's, two, there's three types of orders we can put in, moves and lose and OAOs, moves, lose, and OAOs, okay? Moves are market on open which means I'm willing to buy it at any price, but only on the opening, only on the opening. I can enter that at as early as 4 a.m. and anything up to 9.28, but not including 9.28. Okay, so again, I can enter moves. Let's do it on a chart here. So a moo, a moo, a market on open, can be entered from 4 a.m. to 9.27.59, okay? That's fine. Anytime after that, I can enter it. Now, but there's one caveat. After 925, if it's entered already, cannot be altered. Okay, and then it gets done in the cross. Hope that makes sense in there. Now, a loo, okay, a loo can be the same time frame, 
So, but it's allowed to put a loo here. Okay. But what's a loo? That's a limit on open. Okay. A limit on open is willing, willing to buy on the opening, but not over a certain price. So like the moo would be, you know, buy a thousand MOO, buy a thousand shares, whatever it opens, I buy it. A loo would be buy a thousand at 42 limit on open. Okay. That means I'm willing to buy it on the opening as long as it's 42 or lower. I am putting a limit on it. I'm not willing to chase it up no matter what happens. Okay. That is moves and loose. Again, you can place them into 927, 28, 59. After 928, you can't enter them and you cannot cancel or modify them if they're already in the system after 925. If you, you can do an OIO. Okay. Okay. Now, an OIO is an opening order imbalance, okay? You can place them anytime you want, okay? Once you put them in there, they can't be canceled after 925. That's kind of a thing, okay? But an OIO is an order imbalance only, okay? Order imbalance only. I was thinking, who knows if it means only, but I think it does. It's an order imbalance. Now, what an imbalance is, is they take all the, all the buys and sells, right? So let's say there's, I'm going to make it super simple. Let's say there's 30,000 shares to buy on, on Moo, buy Moo, buy Moo. And then maybe there's 20,000 to sell on a move. That means there's 30,000 to buy and 20,000 to sell. So that leaves you an imbalance of 10,000 to buy. That means there's 10,000 shares that need to be bought on the opening. So you can place OIOs and they will only execute against the, the imbalance. So in this case, only the sell OIOs would be executed. The buys would just disappear because it's an imbalance. But let's say it was the other way around. Say it was 30,000 to sell Moo. I love saying that, sell Moo. And 20,000 to buy. That means there's a 20,000 to sell imbalance. And then only the buy OIOs, because they're only there to offset it. And only 10,000 shares of it, right? So the whole point is only if there's a buy imbalance, only sell OIOs who will offset the imbalance who can be executed. But they can enter them, because that's why they let them enter them. It doesn't matter. And on the buy, and if there's a sell imbalance, only the buy OIOs can be executed. Okay, and you can pretty much enter them until I think basically, um, I think it's 929. I think you can put it right up to the last second. I think so. Um, I don't know. I guess I don't ask. Okay, now, now, let's say we're doing the close. We're going to do a little different. It's mocks and locks, mocks and locks and IOs, imbalance only because it's not opening. So they're the same idea, okay? So in that, on the NASDAQ, you can place a market on close order before 350. Let's put it in. So let's change this up. Bear with me, people. So on close, market on close, limit on close. We can place them up until really 350, okay? Now, well, let's say 355, even better. So you can place them up till 355. PM for the close. But after 350, once it's entered, no cancel, no alter. Can't change it. No modify, no nothing. After 350. Okay. Now, I think it's 358 is the cutoff, cutoff. Okay. So 358 is the last time you can accept the um so 355 is the cutoff for moves. Okay. That's the cutoff. For moves 358 is the cutoff that's not even a number 358 is a cutoff 
and it's not a moo. It's a mock. What are you doing, Ken? That's crazy. People are going to yell at you. There's a mock, okay? So, place your market on close order. You have till 355 to enter a market order or market on close or a limit on close. If it's a limit on close, you can do it as late as 358. But the market on close is at 355. It's so stupid, but whatever. OIs, order imbalances can be executed anytime. So the close has the same thing. If there's an imbalance to buy, the sell order imbalance only will execute. And if the market, if there's an imbalance to sell, the buy imbalances. Okay, now we're going into reg show. It's short, short. Reg show for short, okay? So it starts off with this. This is the beginning of it. If you get a sell order, and that's just is ingrained into my head since I started. If somebody says sell, you go long or short. Literally, it was like come out. If somebody said to me, sell something, I'd say long or short. I think it even happened when I was off the floor. I mean, you're, you're saying it 5,000 times a day. <clears throat> and then when somebody goes, oh, you want to sell that long or short? Oh, okay. So here's the deal. If it's long, that means a customer owns it or will have it in time for settlement, which is T plus two. So they own it, not borrowed, not short. They own it. Okay. They own the shares. And even if they don't have it with you, they will have it to by settlement. You can press it long. You can pr put it as a long sale. If it's a short sale, if they don't have the shares, like they don't own them and they're betting on it to go down, or they may own the shares, but they will not have them in time for settlement. If we don't remember, we can reasonably be assured. We don't have to be 100% guaranteed, but if we can reasonably be reasonably, I can't say that word, be assured that they're going to have the shares to deliver by T plus two, then we can market long. But if they don't, if they if they don't own the shares at all and they're shorting it to bet on it down. Or they own the shares, but they will not. And we don't think that they'll have it by T plus two. We market short so that we know we get a borrow. Once your order markets, once you place an order short in the system, it'll have to get a borrow. Let's talk about that for a second. So you can get, I've talked about this in one of my videos. It wasn't that good. But if you sell short, you have three ways to handle it. One, if you just get a borrow, you have to borrow the shares, sell them, hope they go down. That's it. That costs money. The other way is get a locate. You just, the firm, that's not going to let the customer do it, but the firm will go, they'll call out different broker dealers and say, do you have enough shares that if I need to deliver that I can deliver them? They go, yes. Boom, I have a locate. I write it down and we move on. The third way is what they call the easy to borrow list. The easy to borrow list, the easy to borrow list is a list that's created by the broker dealer every 24 hours. Usually the clearing firm, if you're a small broker dealer, you won't do it. But if you're a big one, you have all these stocks. So you have a lot of GE or GM or Microsoft or Tesla, whatever. You have so many shares that you put it on what they call an easy to borrow list. So then you don't have to get a borrow or locate. You can just enter the order short and it'll execute automatically. That is the easy to borrow list. There's also a threshold security list, which let's talk about. The threshold security list is literally the hard to borrow list. Now, what is FINRA afraid of and NASDAQ afraid of? They're afraid of failed to deliver, that people don't deliver their shares on T plus two. So they keep a list of fails. And if you have a heavy fail position and a very illiquid stock, so let's say a stock that doesn't trade very much, but it has net fails of over 10,000 shares or more, which means on any given day, there's at least 10,000 shares not delivered. And remember, and is not or, and, and that 10 grand or number equals at least half a percent of the outstanding, whoop, which means it's a very small stock, okay? That means it's a threat. And if it happens for five days in a row, it's a threshold security and the buy-in rules change a little bit, but we'll get, I don't know, you know, I'm not going to do it. Maybe I'll do it later. Who knows where we are? It depends what we're doing. So now, because it's not that big. The, so we have, if we don't have the shares, get a borrow or we can get a locate or if it's super easy to borrow, we just s sell it knowing that we'll have the shares to deliver at some point if we need them.
And then the third thing is hard to borrow, which is a threshold securities, which means that fail to delivers are more than are over 10,000 shares at any one time. And it equals more than half a percent of the outstanding, which means it's a small stock. I mean, think about it. You have so many millions and hundreds of millions of shares of, of Citigroup. 10,000 shares is not going to be half a percent. So it's not, it's more the illiquid securities. And what happens is what they call a buy-in where if you don't deliver within a certain amount of time, the company will buy the shares for to be delivered or make you do it. That's, and that's a 13 day settlement. That's 13 days. We're not doing that now. I have, a, we can do a whole video on that on its own, but again, that works with that. That's, that's the start of reg show the 200 rules. Now, one thing that is more likely to show up on the 24 than the 57. Okay. Is if you have a big company, you have to keep long and short positions and all that. And you have to remember, you have order marking is really big. If you mismark orders, you can get a lot of trouble. Like they almost say, if you're not short, just mark it short. It's better that way because it's safer. And I know a firm that literally just did that to make life easier. It's a prop firm. I disagree with it, but I guess the SEC wrote a no action letter and said, eh, we'd rather you do that than not. So, okay. Now, so we have aggregation units. So the firms, like maybe there's a market making department and a retail department and a research and risk arb and all this stuff. So these are different departments of a big firm, okay? So remember, they have to mark orders correctly, but you can't let research know what trading is or trading know what investment banking does. So they can't know their positions. So they separate them and say, okay, you just have to make sure that you know this, you market correctly for what you guys know. These are called aggregation units. So the retail department has to know what their positions are, if they're trading, market making, whatever it is, what they're trading, what their positions are. And they mark the tickets based on long or short, based on what they have, not what the firm has. Now, the firm has to always know what their net long or short position is. Because think about it. Let's say investment banking is long 10,000 shares. And the market making department is short five. Well, our net position is five long, but you can't let them know that each other. So they mark it. So the investment banking marks their sell orders long, and then the market making marks it short. So the market based on what your department is, those are called aggregation units and they cannot cross over. Like if you have someone go from one department to another, you have to mark it, you have to notify, it has to be an all day thing, this crazy shit. So they're really adamant. I know Morgan Stanley got in trouble about maybe 10 years ago, for having the two different aggregation unit groups too close to each other. That's why when you go into a big firm, a lot of times there's key card access to stuff. That's part of the reason because you got to make sure that they're separate. I remember when I was at GFI, we had a, we were doing swaps and we had they actually had to build a little glass wall in the middle of the trading desk that only people can get in. The problem was, and this, it's been longer than 10 years, so we're okay, it got so fucking hot in there, they had to leave the door open because it was basically like a sauna in that thing. Like we were freezing and they were boiling in there. But... It is what it is. So he left the door open, violation. But hey, it's been it's been ten years. So I think we're safe. Um, but they actually it was key, you could see them. It's like a fishbowl. They you couldn't go in there without a key card, unless of course they left the door open. But whatever. Back to this off my tangent. If a stock drops by ten percent, what happens? Boom, the stock's going down. It's down by ten percent. A single stock. This is called the circuit breaker. It's anything. It's Reg Show two hundred one. I don't know the numbers. I hate numbers. I fucking hate numbers. But Reg Show two hundred one is for the short sale circuit breaker. It means if a stock drops by 10% during the market day from the previous night's close. Again, if the stock drops more than 10% or more from the previous night close, boom, this circuit breaker kicks in for the rest of today and all of tomorrow. So if it say Monday at noon, the stock drops 10%. All of Monday and all of Tuesday, this rule kicks in, which means you can only sell short on a, you actually, the rule is you can't sell short. Bottom up, because they don't want people piling on. Because here's what happens. Stock drops 10%. People go, oh, it sucks. 
they start shorting it, forcing it farther down. Then people own it, go, oh my God, I got to sell it. So they sell it and that forces it farther down. Then more shorties jump on. And next thing you know, it's dropped 25%. So they don't want panic selling or manipulative short selling. So here's the deal. If the stock drops by 10% or more, the circuit breaker kicks in and you cannot short stock anymore. Long is fine. You cannot short. Boom. But there's an exception called short exempt. So what they do is they allow you to sell on what they call plus ticks. Okay. So here we go. So let's say it's say, I will call it, um, I don't know, Tesla. Okay. Say it's trading at, I'm going to go way bad. It was, it's say it's trading at 88 by 88.05. That's the bid. Okay. That's the bid and ask. That's the bid and the ask. You can, uh, if you're going to short and do it short exempt, okay? Okay. Um, short exempt, okay? You can only trade on what they call a plus bid or a plus tick, which means you can only sell what they say in a rising market. So you can sell short at 8001, not 88. 8801, you can sell short because it's above the bid. Or if it's trading at 8802, right? 8802, you can comma that's an idiot right 8802 you can sell there too so you can only sell on a plus bid so you can only sell on prices above the bid because they don't want you hitting bids and forcing it down so that's why they say almost in a rising market and that's the short sell short and you have to mark the order short exempt because you're not supposed to sell them short but through this exemption you're allowed to sell short if it's on a plus bid that's really what it is so this way you're not pushing the price down Okay, so this might be covered, okay? More than 24 than less than, less than 57, but you never know. So here's what a closeout is when you sell shares and you don't deliver them, okay? You don't deliver the shares you're supposed to sell. So here's the deal. If it's a long sale, it's going to be three days after settlement, so it's T plus five. So settlement's T plus two. You have to do a closeout, which means what you're going to do is you're going to send a notice to the other broker dealer to say buy the shares to sell them to me on a cash basis so we got to do it by the end of the day okay you actually by the beginning of the day i think but again just know that you have to do it by t plus five which is settlement plus three if you are remember you can't do a naked short which is basically a naked short is when you sell shares short without a borrow or a locate or anything easy to borrow list the only people who can do that are if there's an error or something like that but for the most part if they're a market maker because remember, a market maker has to be willing to buy and sell all day long, okay? All day long. So if, if you're doing it as a market-making activity, okay, if you're doing a bona fide market-making activity where you had to sell shares and you can't get a borrow, that supersedes the borrow requirement. So if I'm offering at 40, selling at 42 because I have to be there, and somebody goes to buy my stock at 42, but I don't own any and I can't get a borrow, I have to, I have to, um, I can short it naked, but then I have some rules. Let's recap this. If it's a long sale and I don't deliver the shares, it does a buy-in, which means you make me buy the shares in on T plus five. If a market maker has to sell shares naked short and he doesn't deliver them, they have basically the same rule T plus five also to be bought in. If it's a short sale and you don't deliver, it has to be done T plus three, the one day after the settlement. Settlement's T plus two, T plus three. So again, short sale, T plus three. Long sale, T plus five. Market maker doing bona fide market making activities where they had to do a naked short, that's also T plus five. And again, that means basically they have to buy the shares in on a cash basis to deliver to the person that they sold it to on that day.
Boom. So remember, I'm not covering everything. I'm covering the stuff that people are confusing with. Like I'm not doing the trading holds. You should know that shit already, okay? Um, I am going to talk about the limit up, limit down. So before, when I first started, there was nothing. Stocks could run and there's nothing you can do. So they wanted to do it for a, um, to stocks to limit the volatility in this. And these things can happen multiple times a day, limit up, limit down. So what happens is we have a base time. We have a base price. I like to call it a reference price. Let's say the stock's trading at 50 bucks. So let's do this. Okay, so then we have what they call limit up, limit down. And I, so limit up, limit down was basically set up so that to reduce some of the volatility. When I first started trading, there was none of this. And then they finally put it in. It was interesting. It kind of slowed down some of the volatility because it can happen multiple times a day, meaning that the stock can hit a price halt for five minutes. And then when it opens up again, hit another halt and halt. They can do that all day long and go up and down. So it doesn't matter up or down what it moves. So let's say the stock is trading on the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange. And it's an S&P 500 stock. And again, you won't have to know the different percentages. But the big stocks that you've heard of are going to be a 5% rule, 5% guideline. So what happens is this $50 is the reference price. We're going to go 5% up and 5% down. If it stays within that band, we have no problems. But for the next five minutes, and they do every 30 seconds, they redo it. For the next five minutes... If the stock goes above 52.50 or below 47.50, they will halt it for five minutes, okay? That's what happens. So if it goes above that price or below it, they will halt it for five minutes, okay? So now, if it becomes a limit state, okay? So uh, let's talk about a limit state. A limit state is if the bid is higher, uh, this or higher, but it hasn't traded there, or this or the offer is this or low, but it hasn't traded the year. It'll sit there for 15 seconds. If it doesn't come back within the band, they will then halt it. Or if it trades outside the band. Remember, it's going to be, it's, here's what happens. So if the bid goes to this price, it's going to sit there and go, okay, we're going to look at it for 15 seconds. If it doesn't come back in, boom, we halt it. If, it go, if the offer goes down to this part, 47.50, it goes there for 15 seconds. If it doesn't come back within the band, within the 15 seconds, we halt it for five minutes, not a big deal. Now, if it trades outside, it automatically halts. That's the thing. Now, a straddle state will be if the bid is here and the offer is here. So let's say the bid is 52.49 and the offer is 52.53. That's a straddle state. They won't do anything. It, it just doesn't mean anything. It just means until it trades outside of there, above 52.50 or below 47.50, they won't hold it. It's just called a state. They won't even watch it. They're just, it's there, okay? So straddle state is when the bid is lower and the offer is higher, or same thing, offer is higher and the bid is lower. So it's sort of straddling the band, but it hasn't traded there yet. They won't do anything. There's no time limit on that one. Okay, so just, I'm going to put this up here. I'm not going to talk about it. Just fucking memorize it. You got to know what's on an order ticket. So here's go. That's order ticket. Let me make a big, oh, take a screenshot, write it down. I don't give a shit what you do. You have to have the name of the account number, either an account number name or some identifier. You have to know it's buy or sell or short sale, the name and the amount, the terms and conditions, whether it's day, all this shit. If it has special instructions, whether it's a cash or margin account, discretion exercise or not, trade date and registered rep responsible. And it should be if it's solicited or not. Boom. Now we're into the shit that everyone freaks out about. The limit order display rule. Now, remember, this is for limit orders of retail customers. Okay. This is for retail customers. So if we get an order from a customer, and unless an exception applies, which we'll talk about, you have to update your quote within 30, they say immediately, but it means 30 seconds, okay? 
Now, again, if shit's going bad, you can if it's going crazy, then maybe 30 seconds is short and they'll lengthen it. But right now, it's where the limit order display rule is you have to show the quote and you have to do it with it immediately. Okay, so this is just a level two machine. You know, level one, you're just going to show the best bid and offer in the volume. Level two shows all the different market makers also. And level three is what the market makers use. They can do the quote. So let me put a little share. So this is going to be market maker is bidding $40 for 500 shares, offering it 41 for 300. Market maker B is bidding 40 and a dime for 300 shares, offering 500 to 41 and a quarter. Market maker C is bidding 39.95 for 200 and offering 300 or 40.99. So we have to figure out what the inside market is first. So we're going to go, let's circle the ones that are. So we're going to find the highest bid, which is this. So this is the inside highest bid and then the lowest offer would be this. So this is the inside market. We'll put it here just so we have it. It's 40.10 by 40.99. Okay, so that's the inside market. Now the question is when you get an order, what do you do with it? So let's say we send an order to the uh, market maker B, okay? Market maker B gets an order to buy 200 shares at 40.10. So that would, that's the, right? So that's the same price and this, and the amounts doesn't matter yet, but it's the same price as us and we're on the inside market. So remember, so if I get an order from a customer, I have to update it within 30 seconds. There are exceptions if I'm not on the inside and it's not a better price, but let's get into it. So if you get an order to buy 200 shares at 40.10, that means I, market maker B has to update their quote to reflect the new amount. So that's going to be 500 shares, 300 for them, 200, 300 for the market maker, 200 for the customer. But remember, the customer has to buy first. Unless it's an institutional, then they could split trades if they get permission. But if it's retail, they have to just they have to display it, and the customer comes first. That's part. That's this. What I just did is literally the limit order display rule. There's exceptions, but that's the rule. If you get an order from a customer, a limit order. And it meets, and it's the same as yours. You have to display it. Now, let's pretend, let's change it up a little bit. Let's go back to this, get back to here, put that back to 300, change the order. And let's say the sell side. Sell side goes to market maker C, sell 100 at 40.99 to market maker C. They would have to change their quote to reflect the extra 100 shares. They would have to now show 400. That's it. Again, limit order display rule. It's more to it, but that's the gist of it. Bring this back to the 300. Now, I'm actually going to change this to 3,000. So there's a thing called the de minimis. So if you're if the cost if you get a limit order that's the same price as yours, okay, same price, and it's 10% or less of your quote, you don't have to display. You still have to protect it. That means if you sell anything at 49.99, you have to give it to the customer. That's a limit order protection rule. That's your order protection rule. Okay. But you don't have to show it because really, what's the difference between three grand and thirty-one hundred? That's their idea on that. So if it's ten percent or less, don't worry about showing it. You still have to protect it. Now, that works. Now, what if I get this? Ooh, it's better, right? So that's a better quote. That's price improvement, right? So that's a better quote. So that's a lower offer. Remember, so if if you're getting a sell order, if the price is lower than yours, that's better. And if you're getting a buy order, if it's lower than your, the higher than yours, that's a better quote. So in this case, sell of 100 at 40.98 is better than my quote. So I actually have to update it, even if I don't want to. So I would have to show, I cross that out. 
and place this quote. It'll change to, you know, 40.98 for 100 shares. That's what the new quote would feed for market makers see. That's what they would do. And that looks, I like mine better. So what they can do, so we get that quote. So if it's if it's better than your quote, you always have to update, okay? If it's better than yours, I'll show you some of the other exceptions. But bottom line, no matter what, if they have a better price than yours, you have to accept it. Unless, of course, we do this, okay? Now I'll go back to this one, back to the 4098. As the market maker, I can show it or I can shoot it over an ECN. Maybe I send it to somewhere else. Maybe I send it over to like, just making up a name, I'll call it ECN1. And then just place a quote and I'll send the 100 over there. You know, it'll show up as an ECN, 4.498 for 100 shares. And I'm still getting to quote. That meets my limit order display rule because I'm actually displaying it in the market. Everyone can see it, but I get to keep my quote. So that's what happens if I send it to an ECN. Really what they call a connected ECN, okay? That's that. That's the second thing. So the one is I can update my quote. Two, I can display it, send it to an ECN or even another market maker if I want to. Or I can just buy it from them out of my inventory. Look, if I'm trading 200 shares by 3,000 shares, I mean, why do I care about 100 shares? Maybe I'll just buy it from them. Boom. You give me an order to sell 100 or 4098, a market maker C will just buy it into their own inventory, and then you're done. That is fine also. Now, one thing I want to add to this, if you do send this, if you do send this to another ECN, and you end up selling shares at 4099, you have to pull this back and then give it to them. Because that would be an inferior price that would violate the trade through rule. Okay. So, and you, and you would not be protecting them. So, you have to make, if you somehow sell shares at 49.99, 40.99, or even 40.98, you have to pull the quote back and execute it for them. That's the way it goes. Okay. Now, I'll do the same thing on the buy side. If market maker B gets an order to buy, you know, 200 shares at 40.1. They have to show it. I know they're not going to do the minimus thing, but they have to show it, okay? So they would have to change this quote to, and if they don't want to pay higher, boom, they have to change this to 11 and then change this to the 200 that represents the customer. Boom. Okay, that's fine. Now, here's a shitty move I can do. So that makes sense. I have to update the quote and show it. Now, here's one thing, one thing I can do. I get this order. Boom, it pops in. I go, you know what? I don't want to let them buy it. I can just bid at 4012. And then boom, I can penny them. I can price improve, okay? So I'm not letting them buy it. I go, you know what? You're right. At 40.11, it doesn't work. So now this, this inside quote will change, right? So I'm now bidding 40.12 for 300. The customer can't complain. They wanted to buy a 40.11. I'm totally okay with that. I'm sort of screwing my customer over. Now here's the deal on this. I can do this as long as it's a minimum of one penny, okay? As long as it's a minimum of a penny, I can't do 11 and a half cents. I have to do 12 cents. I have to do a full penny better. So I can penny them. You're gonna have to watch this multiple times to catch up to it, but I think it makes sense the way I'm doing it. I hope it makes sense in my head. Hope it makes sense in your head. Okay, now back to that. So now we're undoing that. We're not screwing over a customer. Back to 11, uh, back to 10 for 300, okay? So we get this order. If I don't wanna execute it, and if I don't wanna put it, I get, again, I can shoot it to an ECN, send it to ECN1, whatever it is, and it's going to show up 40.11 40 for 200 shares. I get to keep my quote. I can do that. You, As long as you send it, as long as it's displayed, we're good, okay? So you can either execute it, put it, either update your quote, send it to an ECN, or just sell it to them out of your inventory. You can go, you know what? 4011 is fine. I'll just sell you the 200 shares. Don't worry about it. You can do that. That's fine. Okay. Say... 
market maker A gets an order to buy 100 shares at 40. They go, oh, they got to disclose it. Well, here's the thing. Market maker is not on the inside market, okay? Again, if you're taking the seven, this might be too much for you. But if you're taking the 57, you better be able to understand this. So if you buy 100, if I get an order to buy 100 shares at 40, market maker A does. Well, market maker A is not on the inside market, so they don't actually have to show it. Since it's the same price and not on the inside market, they don't have to show it. They just have to protect it. So if they buy stock at 40, then they have to give it to the customer. But they don't have to show it because why waste your time? The way explanation I think of is when I first started in the early 90s, right, we were... It was me and one other guy making markets manually in 300 stocks. If I got an order from a customer that was, I was not on the inside market and either of they, I do not have freaking time to fucking update my quote and take care of the shit that I'm busy with. Okay. So they give you the break and say, okay, since you're not on the inside market and it's the same price you're doing, it's not improvement. It's probably not going to buy it yet right now. So you can put it on the back burner so you don't have to do it. But if they come up with price improvement, which they go, oh, 4001. Well, 4,001, that would be crazy. 4,001, that would be an erroneous ticket. 4,001, then I have to show it, I have to change this. Even though I'm not on the inside, if they do better than me, I have to disclose it. Okay. Now, same thing on the sell side. I get ordered to sell. It's going to go to um, market maker A again, and it's going to be at 41. Guess what? Do I have to show that? No, because I'm not on the inside market. So I don't have to show it. But if I give an order for... 4099 actually that put me on the inside market without that put me on the inside market i do have to update okay so if it's gonna if it's better than your price then you have to show it now we're going to show you the next one the one that screws everyone up now remember i covered order protection also in a way without you knowing it limit order protection means if the stock trades at your at your price that your uh, price that your customer would have bought or sold that you have to give it to them okay and, but here's the thing you owe that to your customers not to other people so here we go. So let's say you get an order to buy 500 shares at 4050. Do not show. You say get ordered to buy four, 500 shares at 4050. Do not show. You don't have to update anything because it's a special kind of order. You would probably change yours to match the bid kind of thing, but whatever. So you don't have to do that. So that means it's right in the middle. If it's if something comes in to sell at 4050, you would buy it. You just don't want to show that to fuck up the market. So then, then this is your customer, okay? So now, this is your customer. Remember, you owe your customer price improvement, not other people. So let's say somebody who you don't have a relationship with comes in. Sell 500 at the market, just say, okay? So I want to sell 500 at the market. What price should you do it at? Well, it all depends who your customer is. If this is your customer and this is not, you're going to trade this at 4010. You're going to do it at the inside market, okay? Okay, ready for barking? Okay. You're going to trade it at the inside market. That's Teddy barking. He's so excited about this. So now, I get an order to buy 500 to 40, 50, do not show. And then later, a sell order comes in to me, 500 at the market. If this is not a customer, I'm going to screw that person over because I don't owe them anything. And I'm going to trade it at 40, 10. This person's happy. And this person's just happy they get it at the bid. Now, the difference is, if this, if this is a person you have a relationship or to customer, you're actually going to do it at this price, at 4050, because you're protecting this customer. Market orders get protection. Market orders get priority on this. So if you have a relationship with both of them, both of them, well, this person put on some crappy restrictions and this one didn't. So you executed 4050. This person's okay. 
because they're willing to do it. And this person's ecstatic because they sold it 40 cents higher than they thought they would. That is absolutely going to be a question on the test. Okay. And it works the other way around too. So let's say I get 500 to sell at, I'll do 4050 again. Okay. 4050, do not show. That's your customer. You have to protect them. This person comes in with 500 to buy. If they're your customer, you're going to do it at this person's limit price. You're going to buy it at 4050 because you're helping them and doing them what they want. If this is not a customer, if this is not a customer, get the erase button. If this is not a customer, then you're going to execute it at 41 and 4099. Because you're going to help them out. That's your customer. This isn't. You do not owe the price improvement to your non-customer. Remember that. To your customers, you do. Okay. Again, I think we covered a lot of that. That's good. Those are good examples. I think that'll help you. Now, trading ahead of a customer order. This is like, the, I talked about it a little bit, but I'm going to go heavy on it. If you get an order from a customer, it's un, what, unsolicited or not, you get an order from a customer to buy stock. You cannot buy stock at a price, that price, unless you give it to your customer first. There are exceptions, okay? If it's an institutional customer, you can ask them, okay? If it's an institutional customer, you can ask them, can I buy ahead of you? Can I buy with you? Whatever it is. If it's a large order, same thing. Like this is like a retail customer sending an order of more than, it's 10,000 shares or more and more than 100 grand, okay? It's 10,000 shares or more and more than 100 grand in value. Then you can ask them. Those are the exceptions, but you still have to get permission to do this. You can't just do it willy-nilly, okay? You will get, what happens is you can tell them you're going to do that ahead of time at, when they open the account, and then every year you have to remind them that you're going to do that. The also one is the intermarket suite, which I talked about in the other video. Go watch it. That's an exception. And then no knowledge, which is what I talked about before with the aggregation units. Market making is buying stock at, you know, 4050 and you get an order in another department to buy stock at 4060. If the market making department buys it at 4050, but doesn't know about the order in the other department, you can't be in trouble for that. That's where the aggregation units come in, where department A doesn't know what department B is doing and they act autonomously. So they can't be accused of, trading ahead and all that stuff. That's why they do that shit. Okay, that's a lot of the stuff. I think that's a good one. That's I made you struggle enough with this long ass video. I mean, it's going to be over an hour, I think, if I don't edit it the fuck down. Um, I think that should work. That gives you the stuff that people are having trouble with. Yeah, there's more stuff. There's options and stuff like that and front running and interpositioning and all that. But this covers most of it. These are the things that you can't just read and you kind of need to talk about. If you need help, please feel free to ask on the live, the live Q&A or I can tutor you, I can sit with you. If you get a bunch of you together, you can do a class, whatever it is. This is for the 57 and the series 24, the trading markets part. I hope this helps a lot. Please, if you like it, like, subscribe and share. And this is a long one. I'm exhausted. I probably have a different shirt than I started. I will see you all on the other side.